liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Welcome, everybody, to another live stream edition of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell, your humble host. Today, I have on some of my based lefties, as I call them, people that I can actually discuss things with, <laughs> which is rare. It's rare to have uh, you know libertarians or right-wing, whatever people want to label me as, um, and be able to talk with people that I'm label as being on the left. Uh, but I think these are, are really great, deep thinkers, and and this should be an interesting conversation. Before I bring them in, I want to thank our sponsor for tonight's episode, and that is Expat Money Summit. They are an upcoming online summit by my friend Mikkel Thorup from expatmoney.com with over 30 experts who are focused on moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. It's free to attend expatmoneysummit.com. Reclaim your freedom from chaos and uncertainty. Topics will include how to secure your own, pl own plan B safe haven, how to use foreign currencies, offshore banking, and decentralized finance to safeguard your money, how to legally reduce your tax burden, legally, and how and where to safely store gold, silver, and other precious metals, where the best countries are in the world to find freedom for yourself and your family, how you can get a second passport to travel the globe without restrictions and get in and out of different countries' borders. If we start World War III, you're going to want to have one of these. Uh, you will learn about a libertarian island haven, private cities, communities on the ocean, and food and energy independent towns in Latin America. Register now for free. Cost you nothing. Expatmoneysummit.com. Just added to the lineup, the great Ron Paul. Do not miss it. Again, expatmoneysummit.com. And without further ado, the communists themselves are here to indoctrinate us. <laughs> First up, Miss Fiorella Isabel. Welcome. Straight from Moscow. Thank you. <laughs> Literally in Moscow right now. Incredible. And then we got Craig Pasta. Jardula, welcome in, man. Oh, Clint, the other day, like when I shared a tweet on one of the shows, she was like, dude, I like this libertarian Clint. I like him. I said, what do you know about Clint Russell? Like, you, you don't know about me, Clint, of boys over here. Like, <laughs> we, we hung out in Vegas. You know, we can't we can't talk about it because it has to stay it's in Vegas. Vegas, but, Vegas yeah. Yeah. Um, so, the, I mean, obviously, I wanted to have you guys on because I think that, you know, with the, the news of late uh, is getting very concerning to me. Uh, and because Fiorella is actually in Russia right now, I figured that would be tremendously insightful, uh, you know, kind of cut through the propaganda of what we're hearing uh, there. The, I mean, the real catalyst for making this an urgent conversation was the fact that uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, Daria Dugina was assassinated mm -hmm. last night. Um, I don't know if she was the target or if it was her father, which is Alexander Dugan. Um, so let's start there. What? What ha what happened yesterday, and uh, and what is the the fallout been like in Russia so far? Right. So uh, Saturday at a well, technically Sunday night um, at four a.m. Uh, that you know there was this commotion going on. So her she was basically as many of you probably already know there was a bomb that was put on the underside of her car, which uh, they're saying is her father's car. It was this uh, Toyota Cruiser. Uh, SUV, and she had been visiting a, uh, a, a, a a festival that her dad was at, where they were talking about uh, just it was like a tradition family festival, talking about Russia, talking about he was giving a lecture, um, and she was there and she attended. It was in Moscow, uh, and then they left, and she took that car. He took a different car, and then the the thing detonated the bomb 
detonated. And so as of the last, you know, in between that time and 48 hours, know that I am about seven hours ahead of the East Coast. So that the the uh, the FSB discovered, according to them, that the SBU, that there are ties to the SBU via this woman who traveled into Russia and stayed at the same place where Duvina, uh, Daria uh, Dugina was staying and followed her and was looking out to see where she was going. And they followed her to the festival. And in between, this is what the FSB is still investigating. Something happened where they there was a bomb placed in her car. They have all the video evidence of this woman. And they basically, uh, and I'll give you her name in a second. I think her name is Elena. Um, and it, basically, this whole thing, what makes this whole thing controversial is immediately you saw Western media cheering for this. Or at the very least, they, their titles are like, the voice of Putin, Putin's main influence, uh, influence, uh, influence brain, main brain. Yes. Like he, that, like, you know, Alexander Dugan's daughter was murdered and then you saw, or was killed. They didn't say murder. They said it was killed in a, uh, blast in, in a bomb in an apparent car bombing. And the thing is that that is how they would introduce like death of the 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 woman because she's 30 years old when she died um and it would always be like just first putin putin's guy blah 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 putin's best friend like it's just ridiculous the daily beast put out an article too and so um it kinds of just a lot of people here in moscow blame the western media for the obsession they have on alexander dugan who's like a philosopher and an analyst uh, because they created this character of him that isn't accurate. Alexander Dugan never met Putin. He was never uh, he he was he was fired from Moscow University for his views about going after the the fascists in Ukraine. Uh, he wanted them to be accountable. So did his daughter. They had the same sort of nationalist type of policies. They were what you call patriots of Russia, and so when you see a great segment of the left, they're cheering for her death. They're saying any good Nazi is a dead Nazi. Or yeah, a dead, a dead Nazi is a good Nazi. And so it reminded me of the time when Ashley Babbitt was shot at the Capitol mm. um, when that happened, because I that was the turning point for me when I lost a lot of friends because they were saying, the same people that were like, oh, we're gonna, we wanna defund the police. We, we don't trust the cops. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then the moment Ashley Bobbitt was shot, they were like, no, that's a good, it's, she's a Nazi. So it was good she died. And so this, this knee jerk reaction to call somebody a Nazi without evidence is, is really disgusting. And from the Russian point of view, this escalates things, right? Because we're talking about a civilian potentially linked uh, the death of a civilian being potentially linked to the Ukrainian military, the Ukrainian intelligence, and this is an innocent person. There's nothing to do with the war, whether you dislike her beliefs or not. It has nothing to do with with she's not in the army. She this isn't a war issue. This is like now you're attacking civilians. So Russians are like really upset about this. They say this is an escalation, and they also are blaming the West for this this hatred that they have. 
saying, you know, Alexander Dugan is perhaps the most hated person second to Putin by the West. Um, and so that is basically what's been going on. And so apparently she was also investigating Bellingcat and talking about evidence perhaps of, of infiltrations in Moscow. And she was a, a journalist and an analyst on her own. And she would always go on media in Russia and she had her own thing that she had going on. So, um, yeah. And again, like what's going on in media is they're playing this video. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a video. It's a, I think it's in Russian, but where she say they're saying, she's saying that she wants to kill Ukrainians and they're sharing that as facts when she's actually saying she wants to kill, uh, she wants to take the war criminals to a tribunal where they mm -hmm. have to pay for their war crimes, which is something we say all the time. And in fact, something the left says all the time. We need to go eat the rich. We need to go get Jeff Bezos. We need to go get these war criminals. But, you know, since she's Russian, her saying that about literal paramilitary fascists, like real fascists, real Nazis, right. with swastikas, not not like some moron that, like, you, you don't like because he voted for Trump, but right. like an actual fascist that our government, the United States government, is sending money to when they condemn those it's not okay. And I'm just trying to wrap my brain. I can't understand where we're at here. I feel like we're living in the upside down. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, we're in, we're in the midst of uh, the fog of war, as they call it, which is oftentimes added to by overt propaganda uh, by all intelligence agencies, which is what makes these conversations and, you know, the analysis process so challenging. Uh, Pasta, what do you, what's your read on this? Uh, do you, well, first off, I'll ask you, do you think that this was an assassination attempt against Alexander? Or was this intentional to, I don't know, radicalize him further to draw Russia into doing something crazy? Well, I, I, well, I can't I help but go down the conspiracy theory route on this. Yeah. I mean, that's what a lot of people are going to say that, you know, this is what you'll, you'll see the term. Um, <clears throat> this is uh, what's the uh, uh, textbook Russian moves, textbook Russian behavior. They did this here. So now they can justify going crazy in the Ukraine in the days to come. You know, Zelensky himself even said that, you know, we're not a criminal uh, state, unlike Russia. And you know, what I'm <laughs> saying, I mean, this is what they're saying. But I mean, what 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 the media is saying and fam just pointed it out too as well, is that the fact is that, you know, the Daily Beast, which we read that article just a couple hours ago, uh, and a lot of other outlets, the AP and whatnot, will say this is Putin's brain. This is this is the 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 far right fascist side of Putin's uh, you know group whatnot, and that's why you know it's okay that he's gone, and a lot of people will will okay it. But what what people are not telling you about is that the Russian, the Russian uh, fan, what was it the uh, the the force there that it's already kind of fingered the SBU, the SBU is a special unit. FSB. The FSB is, is fingered the SBU, showing ties. The SBU is a group that is trained by the CIA. They're special forces within the Ukraine. They've been they've been trained for the CIA. I don't know if you remember the whole plot in Belarus where the CIA sponsored the SBU to go out and kidnap like 30 Russians in Belarus, and they foiled the whole plan. So this is what they're trying to keep away from the mainstream media, that at the end of the day, that if the SBU has been kind of... Uh, uh, is what's the word I'm saying? I don't want to use the word uh, exposed because we don't know what it is. But if they've been, if they've been the the culprits right over here, if they're guilty of doing this, this is coming directly from the West. You know what I'm saying? I mean, whether you like it or not, there are ties within the SBU 
that are linked directly to the West. And that's something that I think that the mainstream media wants to avoid, that the all the other people in the government want to avoid. And that's why you'll see them try to demonize, uh, you know, uh, Alexander Dugan because of that, because they want to yeah. keep him. They want to keep it out of the spotlight that America's grubby pause is all in there. And this is something that we always agree upon. Right, Clint, we're the libertarian and the progressive left or whatever you want to call us, the common sense left, the whatever you want to call us. Base we, left. But yes, the base left. We don't <laughs> want to intervene with these countries. This is, you know, Scott Horton talks about this stuff all the time. We don't sure. want to get involved and we are involved and we have to stop avoiding that and start looking at that and seeing all the money ties that are tied into all these groups, whether they be regime change light, whether it be the NED, uh, you know, USAID, they're all funding these groups like the SBU whatnot and training right. them to do our dirty work. And it, it must be exposed and they must go. Yeah. Well, and I mean, uh, today I'm, I've been doing a lot of research on NIA ID and the, it, my personal opinion is that the, the CIA, um, you know, has infiltrated our, our medical health establishment too. So they, their fingers are in basically all of our problems that we're, we're dealing with simultaneously. And it's, it's very hard to make heads or tails of all this because you're dealing with a, a media, which is bought off. So they don't, they don't ever highlight any of this stuff. Um, so much so that I have to, you know, go to foreign coverage oftentimes to even get a semblance of the truth and then kind of distill their own propaganda aspects and try and figure out <laughs> where where some truth lies in between because it's all it's all biased as far as I'm concerned. I I'm very concerned though. I, I really think that there is a a concerted effort to drag us kicking and screaming into World War III. And I for the life of me, I can't understand it. You know, it's like Russia has a better nuclear arsenal than America by most you know analyst estimates. It seems like a suicide pact. It, am I overstating that that that's what this appears to be? That they're trying to get us into a hot war with them, or are they? Is it the intention to just turn Ukraine into Afghanistan and and drain Russia, you know, indeterminately? Well, you never know which one it is, right? Like all this stuff that's going on seems like the controlled demolition of the financial system, separating us further from China and Russia uh, and allowing our system to fall down, uh, drop like a toilet seat. That's what's going on in Europe. So we don't know what is what, right? At the end of the day, we could make assertions. We can, you know, maybe think what's what. But at the end of the day, we don't know exactly what it is. But there's a lot of clues out there that sometimes make me question what's going on. For instance, Nancy Pelosi going to Taiwan the other day, you know, her plane wasn't shot down or brought down and she brought her son with her and then followed up by another whole group of democrats that went over there so i don't know if it's if this is just theater if this is actually the real stuff that's going on but i uh, have uh, oh my God. everything so you know hey we're with libertarians we can we can do that we can, we can i thought i thought that. you were no but i thought you were i didn't know that that was your point of view because otherwise i would have challenged it a long time ago i don't believe this is theater uh, yeah. I believe there's this is actual there's actual opposition to what the West is doing, um, especially being here and seeing different media. Uh, you know, I guess every single media is biased uh, into some degree because um, that's just human nature. We are all biased uh, sure. in some way or another. Uh, but when it comes to the way you know RT works, they make sure they actually are overcompensating to show, for example, both sides of the Israel-Palestine conflict, no matter how I feel about it, which everybody knows how I feel about it. I'm very pro-Palestinian. Uh, they, they have to show both sides of, of the conflict. But when it comes to this r r situation that you mentioned about China and you mentioned, it, are we going closer to World War III? Um, the United States can't afford to fight a two-front war. 
Russia not only has better nuclear arms, they're in a better economic position, contrary to the belief and denial of a lot of people in the United States, of a lot of people in Ukraine. You come here, Russians are outside, they're going to restaurants, they're at malls, they're like living their life, they're being resilient, they're turning McDonald's into their own version of McDonald's, they're turning Starbucks into Star Coffee, like they're they're very resilient because they have been for a long time. And you see that reminiscent in other countries that have been affected by the attempts by the West to control them. You're seeing that the ruble is, is stronger to the detriment of Americans, but to the benefit of Russians. You're seeing that they're trading with countries. The countries are buying oil in rubles. They're, they have markets in India. They have markets in China. Pakistan is coming in. They're working with Iran. They're talking, they're, they're getting closer to African nations. Lorov was welcomed in Africa, not like Anthony Blinken was, Anthony Blinken was not welcomed. He was told that the United States needs to stop trying to boss them around. And so you have this whole shift happening right now. We had the same discussion we had on Ryan Christian, Danny Haifong and Matt Eric talking about China, right? And like, is, is China really actually opposing uh, the U.S. and is this really multipolarity or is this just, you know, another turn to the Great Reset? Ryan is just thinking, yeah, this is all going towards the Great Reset anyway. Matt was like saying there are different factions within uh, the, the these countries. And I agree with that. I think there's definite factions in the United States, for example, that want us to go to war. And there are factions in the United States that are like, well, we can just turn in this into the next Afghanistan. There are factions in Russia that actually genuinely oppose the West, that, that genuinely just want sovereignty. They oppose the West because they don't want meddling. They, they want, they're proud of Russia. They, they want to be Russian. They want to maintain their culture. And, and that, I see that as very big, especially outside of Moscow, more than in Moscow itself, because Moscow is a very Western city. Um, and then there are factions that don't want that necessarily, that want the West more, uh, that that do don't look at NATO as being the worst thing in the world. Um, and so you have these different factions that are becoming bigger than nation states. I don't think we should we can just look at things as like nation states anymore because countries like Russia and China are so big that they, there's in, in our country too. We can't say that we all agree. Like, it's not like somebody can be like, oh, yeah, the United States wants this. No, we yeah, don't agree with our own government. So right. there's there's all these different vying factions going on. And so I do think there is genuine opposition to what this one world government, which is basically it's basically the Great Reset is basically just the new world order rehashed right into this whole yes. thing. And so. That is definitely a thing. It's real. We we know it. It's out there. They they're boasting about it. But it's like, is there actual opposition? Yes. Is there is there you know is it is it all going to end up in the same spot? I don't think so. I I I mean, we could if we want to be pessimistic and say, well, this is where we're all going. But I think there's enough opposition being generated to oppose that, and I've seen it uh, not just in Russia and China, but especially Russia. But more so in South America, where where people like Evan Morales are like, yeah, they want this new world order. He talked about the, the vaccines. This is stuff like the little the little synthetic left doesn't mention when they talk about Evan Morales, where he literally was talking about a new world order 
and opposing mandates and and how they're trying to control and like it's not a conspiracy it is it is a fact it's just a matter of like it's not like people sit around at a table and they're conspiring like literal but it's like their interests amount to the same interests and we the rest of us are a pestilence to them we're not necessary and in order for them to maintain their lifestyle they're going to do whatever it takes to make us eat z bugs so yes. <laughs> that's, that's you're, you're talking their language over here fam by the way yes that's <laughs> I, i'm 100 on board with that with all that actually um I'm curious if you guys were taken aback by, I, I don't want to say it was the left, but certainly the Democrat Party became kind of the, the figurehead or the vanguard of the lockdown mandate push. Um, how the hell did that happen? Because from my from my childhood, I remember the left being kind of the anti, like some of them were just overtly anti-vax and certainly they were not ever going to have, you know, some megacorp force something in their body. How did this happen? Fam, do you want me to go first? Because are you, yeah, you are go you first. Well, you know, first of all, I just want to do, I just want to digress a little bit and say that at the end of the day, I don't know if it was theater. I said it could be. So I just want to put that out there that I don't know exactly what to believe, right? Sure. It's all in front of me because there are some things that really make me feel that there's some serious opposition. There are a lot of connections and a lot of things that have been discussed in the way we have Matt Aaron on talking. You should get him on your show. He's amazing. Uh, okay. Talking about the way they threw out, you know, Soros's candidate in China and they had a failed cover color revolution and everything they seem to be doing along with what Putin's doing is a, a big opposition to the World Economic Forum. I believe that Putin has been removed from all the scrub from all the uh, from everything online when it comes to the World Economic Forum, their their uh, their website and whatnot. So I don't know what to think at the end of the day, because there's certainly a lot of things that point to the fact that this could be a great reset. We do see countries like Sri Lanka moving on to QR codes when it comes to getting their diesel. We see what's going on in Iran to get groceries. So this is something that's happening everywhere. And at the end of the day, it does seem like we are moving into this kind of technocratic age. But hopefully there is that opposition to the great reset. As far as the left is going, I mean, really, to tell you the truth, it's that in some ways, and I think Fan will back me up, that, you know, it's a little surprising, but in some ways it's very much expected. You know, the one big gripe we've had about the left, Clint, is the fact is that they don't understand or know how to look at power. They don't understand about people in control. They've always had this saying is that we'll get, we'll get them in, we'll mitigate damage, and then we'll move them left. What the hell does that mean? I mean, for so many years, we were in the streets fighting against the pharmaceutical lobbyists, right? It was all big pharma, big pharma, big pharma, only yeah. for them to tuck their tail between their legs and then agree with big pharma, you know, to th all of a sudden think that they're going to be benevolent when it comes to public health, when they have a criminal history of killing people and taking money and manipulating data, everything they've been doing, you know, this whole time, you know, it, it's kind of it should be brought to the forefront of what's right. going on now when we're making these decisions. So yeah, it didn't exactly come out of the blue. No, it's like, it this is, this is what they've been doing for a while. This is what they've been doing. And they've always bowed down to, uh, to power. And also fam can probably talk about the co-option too, as well. They're always getting co-opted every single step of the way. They're co-opted because they live on their emotions. They are, uh, are very uh, reactionary. when it comes to things, they lack nuance, uh, so therefore, you know, they have their crowd, you know, there's a lot of people who did move away who are politically homeless right now, who would kind of want looking for things. I mean, that has been my whole peeking into 
the whole Libertarian Party and what you guys are doing there with the Mises Caucus. I've been getting ridiculed by a lot of old school leftists, but you know what? I'll deal with it because at the end of the day, I'm calling it the great compromise. And that's what we can look forward to if the left is not going to be about, you know, individual liberties anymore and whatnot, which was that is that's what they used to protect. Everybody's right to be what they want to be. Now they don't protect that anymore. They want you to have this tribe mentality. And if you don't go along with the tribe, they'll cancel culture you and ostracize you. That's why I'm willing to compromise to say, hey, if I get my civil liberties, because I am a civil liberties guy, if I get my freedom of the press, if we're going to push back against censorship and we're going to be anti-interventionist and we're going to be anti-regime change, then I'm going to go in. I'm going to make that compromise with a party who's willing to make that compromise. Yeah, makes sense to me. Uh, Fiorella, same question to you. Uh, what, it, if you have anything to add to that, he, he said quite a bit there. But uh, what, how, how was the left basically supplanted how were they how were they duped into following along with the lockdowns do you think right so basically what's been happening with the left for a long time is that the intelligence apparatus came in there and used their own desires and their own virtues and morals against them they turned those virtues into slogans and signals rather than actual tangible economic gains so the left started focusing on um just symbolic gestures and and symbolism of attaining social justice rather than actually attaining it and so it turned into just focusing on character assassinations of people that didn't agree with them the left as you mentioned used to be the ones questioning vaccines in general the left used to be the ones fighting for nazis to march down in the streets of, of of i think i forget where uh but it was as in the united states the left used to be uh, talking about the anti-war movement way more than libertarians. Now libertarians have taken over in, in terms of that. Um, and so it, they got in a way just completely defanged, for lack of a better term. They got completely just taken over like that. They're a carcass of what they were initially at one point. And I don't believe that the real left, the old school left, the left that used to fight for these things exist anymore they're not fighting for civil civil liberties they're fighting to get rid of them they so this the whole lockdown was just another um nail in the coffin because it didn't start with that right it started with russiagate and then it it started with the elections in the primary against bernie sanders where they didn't want to talk a lot of them about the fact that sanders was cheated then it was about uh like i mentioned russia gate after that and then about of course the election between trump and biden and i'm not going to get in trouble but i will say that there was a lot of questions on that election and even questioning that election labeled you a right winger then january 6 came and january 6 of course was the moment where all all of these people who were calling for the left to go and and storm the Capitol and take over and and you know oust the corrupt politicians? Well, when the right did it, um, and you know they didn't really do it. Like they just they right. they were fighting for election integrity and they did like you know they were like oh we're gonna go in and do this. They called it a coup attempt. Um, right. And and then they they vilified anybody that was like, wait a minute, this isn't an insurrection. This is like literally laughing. Like this is some guy sitting on Nancy Pelosi's desk. Like and and they started cheering for the police. Um, and then the right was like, blue, we backed you. What the hell? What's going on? And then so you saw like this kind of inversion. And then and then of course you know they were cheering for the the death of Ashley Babbitt. They were calling everybody 
that was a Trump supporter, a Nazi, people, the people that were their family members, they were outing them. They became best friends with the FBI. They were admiring the expansion of the surveillance state. And then of course we get to COVID and COVID was, I think, so enlightening. The It took off the veil of so many people that they weren't really there to actually oppose the status quo because they were so fear-mongered to fear their own shadow that they ended up making excuses and mental gymnastics to say, well, we're not gonna trust the government when it comes to corporations. We're not gonna trust the government and they lie to you. They won't give you healthcare. We're not gonna trust the government at war. They lie about wars. We know we have an intelligence apparatus. We know that all, all of these people, big pharma's corrupt. We know that, but they made some sort of mental exception for, for COVID in spite of the actual science showing otherwise, and they allow themselves to be completely just brainwashed with the one use of, oh, you're a right winger if you even question this. There was no discussion allowed. And that itself, I think, was just completely turning this left into the very fascists they, they, they say they're against. And then, of course, you have Russia-Ukraine situation where then all these same people went on and put pro-Ukrainian flags on their Twitter and Facebook profiles. And they took that same hatred that they had for the anti-vaxxers right. to, to the Russians. And, and, and guess what? Guess what's next? Uh, China. And so now you, it's just so easy. The, the support, the current thing crowd is like this, the masses of ignorance that they, they can just manipulate via propaganda. And that's, that's how they did it. And I think it's definitely an intelligence apparatus move the way they have brainwashed people. And it's definitely um, works to defang both the left and the right because they they keep them at odds to, with each other. Of you know, course. it's like an endless fight between the AOCs and, and the Marjories. And if you say anything positive, by the way, about Marjorie Taylor Greene, you're canceled and you're a fascist, even right. though she voted against giving money to Ukraine, which the entire Democratic Party uh, di di didn't. I mean, that. so, and these are Nazis that we're actually funding. So. We don't live in a world of logic anymore. We live in a world of just pure emotion that has no direction. And it's just like everybody's screaming at each other. There's no debate about anything. Yeah, it's emotion and tribalism for sure. I mean, the the way I view it, um, you know, the, the COVID fear mongering, they learned their lessons from after 9-11 when they fear mongered us into starting a bunch of wars with countries that hadn't attacked us, as well as rolling out the Patriot Act, which annihilated the vast majority of our liberties that remained in this country. Um, then you had the Occupy Wall Street movement, I think is the the time when they really realized like, okay, this this leftist populist movement is a problem. We're going to have to come up with, with ways to infiltrate it. And they did so really successfully. And then by the time we got to COVID, it was just like, okay, they knew all of the buttons to push. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement completely... Uh, you know, derailed us from getting any of the police reforms or abolition or defunding or any of the shit that, you know, I think the left and the libertarians could have worked together on. They just made it purely about skin color. It was like police brutality is strictly a, a racial issue. And it was like, that's not, that's not even, it's not reality one, but it's also just not productive. Like if you have people like the vast majority of people I knew, especially like hardcore back the blue Republicans were like, this is fucked up. Like we need to change this. And then it became, you know, it's only about, you know, uh, you know, white cops on black people. And it was like, well, that's now now you're making people feel defensive based off of their skin color. And then it just derailed everything. 
broke my heart, to be honest, because I really thought that we had a, a real shot at significant police re reform in that mo in that moment. And we got fucking nothing. We got nothing yeah. out of it. Yeah. I keep um, telling people that, like, I'm like my friends who are like on the left who really are like anti police. I'm like, guys, you got to look at the Libertarian Party. They hate cops more than you. <laughs> like, like, people don't understand that. It's like, yeah, I, I, I hate the cops not. when they when they <laughs> shot Ashley Babbitt, and I hate the cops when they choke out black people for not paying taxes on cigarettes. I think they're fucking awful on both fronts. Uh, what a novel idea. Yeah. <laughs> now that video is. It also became politicized. Around. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Pam. Like, no, I was just gonna say it also became politicized because because uh, we followed that very thoroughly. You know, we traveled everywhere. We went to Seattle. We went to. We were obviously in LA, which was a huge part of it. Uh, we went to uh, uh, where else? Or we went to Portland, which was one of the bigger ones, and that was very just wow um because the feds were there and they were pointing their guns at us and it was just insane but it, it became about sending little people little like minions to these protests to say if you want this to end you need to vote for biden and like and people some people were like what the hell like this isn't about that but other people you know got duped into it and like yeah if we get rid of trump and what happened no you you have biden and look I mean, the, the squad and all these people have voted continuously to fund the police. They're voting for more national security expansion. They're like this. This yeah. is this is like one of the worst administrations for black people and poor people and Latino people. He's continuing the same policies, if not worse. This is a guy who wrote the crime bill. How is how was he supposed to write your wrongs? And so it, it is just, it's ridiculous. And I think, you know, I do think that there are things that like the anti-imperialist left or whatever, the, that whatever's left of it, uh, that's actually trying to really solve these issues and some libertarians can work out, which is, I think it's at, at war. It's on the, the national security state police, you know, uh, that sort of apparatus. And lot, yeah. Uh, per, yeah, there's a couple other things like drug, uh, like, decriminalizing drugs, sure. uh, that sort of thing. So I think there is definitely things to talk about. And I think I free, don't free think speech the United too, States, I hope since censorship, free I, mean, speech, that, I, yeah. I hope I would hope. Uh, and like, yeah. I don't think the United States is at a place where, you know, they have this idea that some of these people have, where you have to have a checklist of everything that you agree with them. And then if you don't, you're canceled. And because they're never going to, we're never going to get anything done that way. You're going to have to unite with people who disagree with you. That's a real working people movement. You're not going to sit there and, and ask who they voted for. Like, it, this is, it's just ridiculous to think that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I want to ask you guys how we can work together. But before I do that, I want to thank our other sponsor for tonight's episode. And that is careerhackers.com. If you are uh, suffering because of the inflation, thanks to the, uh, the Biden printing or the Trump printing, because that also happened, uh, it's a good opportunity to, to, prepare yourself for that second career path or uh, the entrepreneurial path if you want to go that route too. Either way, cost you nothing. Careerhackers.com. Sign up for the Daily Job Hunt. It's a free once daily email newsletter that hits your inbox every morning, gives you some information on how to stand out of the crowd and get that job of your dreams. Again, careerhackers.com. And we are back with the commies. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> the libertarians over here we got all this freaking new you know, in the beginning we got gold standards and whatnot okay money 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 but you know what i gotta okay. tell you i was telling fam the other day i went to another my second libertarian event uh in clark county over here uh nice. my good friend james p hurley who's the vice chair of the state and is also the chair of uh clark county um 
Libertarian Party. I really got to like, I tell you, I like the messaging that's going on. I like the new changes with the Mises Caucus and whatnot. I was telling fam, I said, fam, yeah, like that. The fact is that a lot of people think about libertarians is that they just want to have this sense of liberty and freedom so they can go off and make as much money in the market as possible. I said, that's not the messaging I'm getting over here. What I'm getting at is that they're just as compassionate as us. They just believe their tactic is, is removing away the biggest problem, which is government. And after the last several couple of years, how can we not say that the biggest problem is government? Now, the tactic might not be the right one, but I'm right. understanding where, where it comes from more than anything. It's oh, government. And, and we had a lot of talks, too, as well, about how libertarians stood up for people of color during the Jim, Jim Crow's laws when black people were trying to arm themselves. That's what yeah. Jim Crow laws were doing. They were trying to make sure that black people were disarmed. And it was the libertarians going, nope, nope, nope. Citizen, right to gun, give him a gun. And that's something 100%. that we need. I mean, the new the new marketing uh, and the new message, the new management of the Libertarian Party, of the Mises Caucus, even though they attacked FAM the other day, uh, is pretty, really? pretty good. Well, yeah. Somebody who runs the Mises uh, <laughs> Twitter Well, I, thing. I went for it. <laughs> it was like a little thing. I but partially guilty. But, you know, when I talk to those guys and stuff, and, too, and they understand who my business partner is, I said, I, I, I kind of explained to them what, you know, Fiorella is all about. She's an anarcho-communist. She's not a communist. She's an, she believes you know I'm saying she believes right. in that that overreaching power. And I think at the end of the day, the only way we'll work together is that if we understand each other completely. And we need yeah. to understand that it's the power element, and, and we need to get rid of the mechanism, which is government and how they control us and what's going on. So for us to come together, we just need to understand each other. Better and then, like I said, for me, I'm not going to get everything I want with you guys. There's a lot of economic things that I'm still trying to understand, and there's other areas where I disagree. You know, I would ban fracking tomorrow. However, mm -hmm. I will take the compromise to get a freedom of speech, a freedom of press, and yeah. to get the hell out of these other countries. You know, I think Scott Horton is a little bit too sensitive, whatnot. He doesn't even think that Russia should have gone in to to Ukraine, where I disagree. But once again, I will take that passive mindset of staying out of other people's business and worrying about what we have going on at home. Yeah, we got enough problems. And and just to show you a bit of my evolution, and I think many libertarians uh, share this arc in that I was very I was very much a defender of big business in America for most of my, you know, 30s up until my late 30s. Uh, I really didn't I didn't understand how deeply in bed big business was with big government. I, I you know, it, it's become unbelievably stark. You know, I can't believe that I didn't see it sooner, to be honest. Um, but I say all that to say this. I'm no longer going to defend these these multi, you know, uh, multinational corporations that have billions and billions of dollars under management that are, are accumulating, accumulating that wealth via their relationship with the government, government contracts, subsidies, things of that nature. Uh, and I'm certainly not going to run cover for you know big tech as they censor everybody given uh, both the the funding that went into the you know the ip for much of the technology that they've used to kind of uh you know create an oligopoly it's it's very problematic on multiple levels but i, I think a lot of libertarians have had their eyes open to that because we you know our knee-jerk reaction was always to defend private business what we're realizing more and more is that these aren't private businesses to by any you know classical standard um so that's yeah. kind of our our evolution. So I I hope that brings us closer together. That's why I bring can, it. Can up. I say something real quick? I'm going to hand it right off the fam. I because I didn't say this last time, but here's the thing too as well. I think we need to understand each other completely. When somebody goes, oh, socialism's bad. It's awful, but communism's bad and whatnot like that. I understand what they're talking about, especially libertarians. When that they don't want this overarching 
mechanized centralized power that can control things they don't want centralized right. power they actually equate and correct me correct me if i'm wrong uh clint where you look at capitalism as choices and people want those choices whereas yep. if a lot of people look at the socialist and go oh that's bad they want to just stand behind big government and whatnot the majority of socialists and communists i've met throughout have one thing in common more than anything at the top of their list it's labor laws and labor rights they don't want to see a, a, a whole class of people pretty much doing close to slave labor or cheap wages for all these big corporations that lobby the government at top to have these these things in place. And that's what they want. So people have to understand that the that the communists or the socialists that they hate, you know, I mean, Rand Paul's book, The Argument Against Socialism, like that's the name of your book, homeboy. You got to understand that these people in America that look at that communism and socialism, they're looking at labor as the big problem and they want to fix labor and correct me if I'm wrong, fam, if that's not what they want. Well, can I, let me just respond real quick. Um, basically the, our main difference of opinion is like everybody wants everyone who's doing a hard day's work to make a good living. Like it, no one, no one benefits by, by people being, you know, permanently in the indentured class. Like no, no one wants that. Um, our belief is that if you, shrink the size of government and you allow free market competition that the people will be able to earn market wages that will be far above whatever sort of minimum wage level or union uh, contract might possibly attain you. So that's our belief, but uh, it's it's secondary to the the overarching point that I think you're, you're making. Um, Fiorella, go ahead. Um, so to your point that they're, they're not private businesses, they're not private businesses at all they they these businesses are basically uh government run we because we live closer and closer to a fascist state because the corporate sector has merged with government so i understand this north american or u.s american version of why a lot of us don't like the government um and you know i i kind of was feel i agree with it to a degree in, in the united states that why nobody none of us like the government uh, because obviously the government hasn't been great in terms of, of late for the people and the expansion of it has been a detriment to the people. But when you visit other countries where the government does work for the people, it kind of makes you have a different perspective on a potential type of government that could exist. And I think yeah. anarchists are closer to libertarians in their hatred for any form of government uh, because they believe any sort of centralized power is corrupt and i i tend to agree because but i think it's more of like any sort of human power because humans are susceptible to corruption so any sort of entity whether it's capitalist com, com, communist whatever is is susceptible to corruption because of the human element in it because power corrupts and when you have too much power in few people it's even worse so i i i agree with a decentralized form but Paz is 100% right when people outside of the United States, because this is what we need to understand. There are people in the United States right now who call themselves socialists who are not. I, like under the definition of what it means to be that, they're not. They, we're talking about people like AOC, people like the squad, people who go online canceling everybody who, you know, have a, a hammer and sickle on their profile on Twitter, who call me a fascist, who like have never been to a country in, in the global south who will never step out and they just love to read theory and their theory isn't based in reality because we're not Russia, we're not China, we're not any other country, we're the United States. And the United States is going to have its own form of government. It's got to find whatever works for it. 
and what works in China is not going to work in the United States. It's a completely different mental way of thinking. It's a collectivist society in China where people think about things differently. The, the structure is different. They look at elders different. They look at culture different. They have more of a collectivist mindset. In the United right. States, there's a lot of uh, attention paid towards individualism and this individual like, I am my own person and I want to decide what I want. And this is why you have that element of, of choices and this, uh, you know, this whole like idea about capitalism, you know? And so that's, that's, you can't force people to adapt to something that they're not ready to adapt. And when you try to force them to something, I think that's where the problem comes from. And I think there's a lot of just misunderstanding as to what a socialist looks like or what a leftist looks like in in other in real terms because what you get and why the right hates them so much is because they think AOC is a representation of that when I despise that woman I mean I think she is like one of the worst politicians we could ever have and I and I think I dislike her more because at one point we supported her and so for me it's like you I I will I thought maybe this person was going to be genuine for a second and then when you realize they're not, and I have information that shows me they're not, I change my tactics. I'm like, okay, this person's a complete and total just corporate stooge. They're an Instagram influencer. You, you, you know, I'm like, okay, well, this isn't going to work. There's no politician that I really believe in. The, the we don't have a fair election system. Everything has changed. So that has been our arc. Like, I come from you know thinking that we could have a sort of reform that we could take over the, the Democratic Party system. I am nowhere near that now. I am at the point where, you know, I, I don't believe we can do that. I came from, I want more slight gun control because I believe that, you know, uh, we don't want to kill people and other countries have it. So why can't we have it? Well, no, I am like fully for the Second Amendment now. They do not take away people's guns. The government is so corrupt. How oh, yeah. dare you? try to take away the the working people uh, right now. And you know, for all the, the the left that wants gun control, you're the first to go, <laughs> like, especially <laughs> minorities. I And so when you have, I mean, if you look at the Black Panthers, they were for the second amendment. They were for That's having they guns. Were. They understood that the most uh, anti-establishment forces were gonna be the ones that they were going to attack. So no, like I, they did. things have changed. And they did, yeah. and they did, and they still do to this day come after people. And so, you know, there if I if we can come into an understanding of things have changed so our tactics can change, then I think there is hope to to come to an understanding that, wait a minute, maybe these people aren't who we were told they were. You know, when we go to other countries in Latin America, Pasta's 100% right. These people want water, they want food, they want uh, a roof over their head. They're not looking to to go. In fact, many of these people in Latin American countries are conservative socially. They don't believe in abortion. No. They definitely aren't there on, on LGBTQ issues. By our definition, by the way the left defines it, they would be right-wing fascists. And, and they're not. And, and they want IDs at their elections. They want, they, I mean, this is like in, in the left who's never stepped outside of the United States and they just gloat in this cosplay of their idea of what communism is. They don't know that. So it, it's just this whole thing where what it means to be left in the United States, I think it's just, it's just so fictional. It's not even valid. So I don't even like, I don't even want to associate myself with what those people are because they're, they're, I, they're fascistic more than anything and, yeah. and what they've become. And it's so sad. 
because they were supposed to be the opposing force and they've become just a part of it. Right. And no, that's, that's exactly how I feel too. I think this is why I have such a, an animus towards the left right now is because my, my perception is that the left has abdicated their duty. Their duty was to be the anti-war people like first and foremost, because the right wing, mm-hmm. at least in my childhood growing up, they were always the fucking nutcases that wanted to blow up everybody. And I was like, all right, well, at least I can trust in the Democrats. They're going to they're going to have my back <laughs> when I when I'm out here trying yeah. to, you know, not go kill people in the Middle East for no apparent reason. Um, and then they I also they would try and fight against, you know, corporate uh oligarchy you know and and having too deep of a relationship with the government and they could point that out and and try and fight back against that stuff but now it's just like okay we have eighty thousand irs agents being hired and they're not going after the (laughs) fucking big business they're coming after all the little guys it's just like it's the worst of both worlds we have and and the right is gotten a little bit better but they're still full of shit especially uh, the political class they don't actually deliver uh on defending my civil liberties ever for the most part um, and they also don't reduce taxes. So like, <laughs> I think I'm at the same level of exasperation as you guys probably are and just feeling like this this isn't reformable. My my personal belief is that our, our only remedy is to have this country break apart and let people that still value liberty have their own little landmass. And if, I mean, even if you want to be an ANCOM, I still think that that values liberty to some regard. You should have your own landmass and try that out. And like, kind of the the concept of federalism and having these 50 states that try 50 different things but at this point we just have this overarching federal power that's so fucking oppressive i don't know how we how we actually uh you know get there especially peacefully because ultimately i don't want war and i feel like we're on a fast track to it if it's not world war three it might be civil it's uh it's very Mm -hmm. concerning uh pasta hop in wherever you well, uh, I was just thinking about Ron Paul as you're saying all those things about how yeah. far he's good and not and like he's one of the top <laughs> of the food chains now even for anti-imperialist left for us that's what we were called before anything whether we were the anti-imperialist left you know what I'm saying right. Right. but you know I mean what I want to say is that the way we can come together too as well is obviously we have these uh ideological differences right I mean there's we, we can talk about economics where it's there and I think a lot of people haven't even understand libertarian economics especially the new Austrian economics you guys Probably are bringing not, to the yeah. table. So that has to be, you know, you guys got the good marketing plan to get out there. Uh, so, but, you know, we have to stick on those reasons that we say that, you know, you were just talking about the left used to be dependent on the fact that they were like anti-war, you know what I'm saying? And there's still a group of us on the left that are still anti-war. We're here. We might not be with the Democratic Party because we say this all the time. There's no left in America, but there is an American left. And we ain't there with them because they are pro-war. I mean, look at Biden as soon as he got in. Uh, It's almost crazy that when people do make this argument and he's not a a peace, uh, he wasn't a peace president by any means, but like the fact that he's (laughs) Well, he was less anti-war than Joe Biden. It's hard to argue that fact. So yeah. I think it's still that we need to, to drive these these messages home. First of all, about being anti-war. I mean, the guy uh, that we know that right now is in the in the forefront of the Mises caucus when it comes to foreign policy is Scott Horton. And he has a website called antiwar.com. <laughs> we've had people on like Kyle Anzalone, who's a great guy. Congratulations, brother. We love you. Hope you're listening and watching. You handsome yeah. son of a beeswax. <laughs> but we have to drive these messages home. And there's a lot of us on the left that are big time Julian Assange people. And Scott never forgets that either as well. And that's important to the libertarian message right now. Our yeah, civil M- Missy, Misty is a soldier for, you know uh, for Julian Assange. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely love it. I mean, and this is this is why I, it's so fascinating that we we're almost always at loggerheads, it seems like, especially in the Internet realm. And I'm like, I'm like, we have more in common with you than we do 
you know, the, the hardcore Republicans for the most part, like uh, we, uh, there's so much more similarities and yet um, there's so much animus, there's so much anger and vitriol uh, when you, when you see a lot of us interact online and I'm just like, Hey, can we just set the fucking economic shit to the side for a minute? And like, talk about like the world might fucking end in hellfire, like <laughs> any minute. Yeah. Uh, can we prioritize here? Um, yeah. And I just, I really think it's that, it's that perilous. Like people are way downplaying this. The, the fact that we have spent eight fucking years leading Ukraine into this war. Yeah. We have our CA over there training them. Um, there's, I mean, there's so much, there's so much evidence that goes into this history. I can't possibly recap it all, but regardless, like this is a proxy war with a, the two biggest fucking nuclear powers on the planet. And everyone's yeah. just like, ta la la, like no, no big deal. It's crazy to me. Yeah. Well, you know, we have to drive home that message. That you, I mean, yeah. this is a libertarian over here speaking, and a base leftist over here. We're talking about so we the anti. We're the right left to talk to because we're the left that understands us. We get our asses out. We go there. But yeah. aside from those areas where we are the same, I think the, the 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 finding other areas where we do have things in common. I think that really libertarians really need to drive home their message when it comes to law enforcement, how they're against it, and really get into a lot of leftists who feel that kind of way and and, and get that point across. Also, though. There's areas, I think, of concern where the libertarians need to also get serious, and that's elections, right? It, it should be in the election platform. You guys don't have an election czar. You need an election czar, somebody to head that up to make sure that elections are going to be at the forefront of what's happening. Because no matter what ideas you have, they're not going to get through if we don't fix this major problem of elections. Well, we, you know, I mean, you, you might have found some spots here and there, but to get to that 5%, if you guys get that candidate out there that has the ability to get out there and we get people aboard, we got to look at elections. Because that's yeah. one thing that came out of also when it happened with 9-11, too, as well. You talked about all those those bills, the, the, the Patriot Act, right? The fact that we went set the, the Middle East on fire. Well, HAVA, Help America Vote Act, also came out of that era of George Bush, too, mm -hmm. as well, which mandated you know, machine counting of ballots in certain oh, areas. And now it's just spread. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. that that's yeah. what that act did. And we need to get that back on track. And I believe the thing that's really going for the libertarians is the populist message, right? It's yeah. that populist message Great right time. now. Let's drive that home. Let's find our allies and let's bring it home and get a third party there on the center stage once and for all. I'm with you, brother. Fiorella, is there, uh, I, is there any way in which we could work with you guys to try and prevent world war three or do we just have to fucking pray to God? No, I really, I really think that that's the only solution. Um, because I think more than anybody, especially being outside of the United States right now, the people of the United States have, you live at the, in the belly of the beast. I mean, I did not too long ago in Los Angeles for crying out loud. Um, and, and you, you know, you, you, you're there, you know, what's happening, you know, what's going on. It's falling apart. Okay. The empire's falling apart and the people most affected are going to be the everyday working people no matter what they who they voted for yep. or what they believe in or who they like or who they don't like that you are all screwed if this continues this way and and it is because again Russia isn't screwed the the sanctions haven't impacted Russia in the way they wanted it to the Russia has be, rebounded i mean they bounced back from everything the ruble is strong they you have the um the 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 sale of gas to other markets, Russia is fine. The EU might freeze to death uh, this winter because they, they're not going to have enough gas. It's so expensive. It's like anywhere from $1,500 and up to a month for some people to pay for gas. Here, it's basically practically free. Um, it's very, very low. And again, the heater automatically turns on once the, the a date it hits a certain date. And so 
you know, and that 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 is the reality of where economics are. The transportation system is great here. I look at the subway system in New York. It looks like literally like they call it a developing country, right? What they call shithole countries. That's what New York is looking like. That's what a lot of the infrastructure in the United States. You go to freaking Michigan. It looks like uh, it, it, like Mariupol after like all the bonds <laughs> went off. Like it's really bad. And so the only people that can really fight for that for are people in the United States, people that get it, people that, that see that this isn't going to last. And so I think we can come together on these areas where we do agree. Uh, and, you know, and maybe I, I think the idea is we don't have a fair election system, as Pasta said. There needs to be a fair election system because these people aren't going to allow you to take away their power. They're just not. It's yeah. too much power they have. They're not just going to voluntarily be like, okay, well, you had an election. Bye. No, they're, they're, that's not going to happen. Guys. So this, this, that is just way past that point. So you're going to have to do everything you can to fight for it. I think not just in the election side to reform the election or try to redo the election system, but to really just, I think people need to be affected in their pockets deep enough to do, to care because what we're seeing in the Netherlands and what we're seeing all over Europe where people are protesting in the streets it's because they're affected by it. What we, we see right. in the global South when people are protesting, they're affected by it. So once it hits the pockets of Americans, which I think too many are distracted right now, we're just trying to get by. Um, I think you'll have more people jump on board. And at that point, out of necessity, I don't think people are going to be able to care if, hey, did this person support this, this person or not? Right, like, right. I think that'll go out the window because yeah. then it's just psychological, right? Your basic needs need to be met first and you need to like get that done. And I think the idea of ideology of like, oh, I want more of a socialist government. You want more of a, a free market capitalist government. We can't even argue that if we blow each other to pieces. So we can't even sit at the table and have that conversation until until we even have like the mechanism to have that conversation. And right now we're getting closer to a point where the United States is poking the bear on Russia and they're trying to poke also China. And both of these countries are nuclear countries and they've been tolerating a lot. I mean, the whole Taiwan thing with, with, with China, they didn't respond militarily, but they're responding economically. And the, and then you have Russia where they're, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to back down on Ukraine, Ukraine. This is an unwinnable war for Ukraine. It's completely unwinnable. And and for and by Ukraine, I mean the United States and NATO. So they're not going to win this war. And so it, what's basically going to happen is just a continued um, billions and billions of dollars. Americans should be up in arms right now that the United States has given $10.6 billion to Ukraine and counting. And what have they given you? And by the way, taxation is theft when it's Ooh. not, when the taxes aren't going to where they should be. And I, I, I said that. The so it's always there. Right in front of us over here. Holy, no, 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 holy wait. I said taxation doing? is theft. And they, so somebody was like, what are you talking about? That's a libertarian. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, listen, the, the taxes aren't going where they need to go. Like yeah. if, if, if I was I'm happy home. in a country where the taxes went somewhere where, hey, like we're all getting some sort of money back or we're getting this and that, I wouldn't be saying that because I, I believe in some instances it works in some countries, but it, it sure. really hasn't worked here ever for the longest time. And taxes are the reason the United States is even the United States. So if you're not, I mean, if you're not looking at that right now and if you're just going to call it a right wing talking point, well, 
hello, you wouldn't be, the, the country wouldn't be the United States if, if they would have just allowed taxation without representation. And that's, Man. and that's what's happening now. Right? I don't know. It's, I don't know if you if you're playing my audience, but you just made a couple thousand fans not, off of that. <laughs> I'm not. Saying, that's, 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 that's an anarcho-communist saying that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's incredible. I, no, I, I really appreciate that. I mean, the, the the real reason for my concern is that you have Adam Kissinger and these other fucking lunatics oh, that are out there, you know, basically urging yeah. for an Article Five declaration from NATO, uh, which would allow. Uh, you know, NATO, which ultimately just means U.S. troops to get involved with this shit. And if that happens, it's World War Three. Like it's on at that point. So, right. um, you know, it, it's it's very, very close. And I, I just think that, um, you know, for the sake of humanity, for the sake of your own lives, come together on this, folks. Like I, we can we can duke out the economic models later on. Uh, I think that that's, you know triage understand what's the greatest risk to you I, in the moment i don't think we're that far off on the economics as people think at the end of the day from what i'm understanding it's just a, you know what i'm saying like a, there was a misconception that libertarians just wanted to be free of government restrictions so individuals can make a lot of money that's not the case right. they no, just want the government out so that everybody can make money and that's what they right. believe now is that going to work you know, that's a situation where well, me and Fiorella, we have gone and seen successful governments during, you know, that work for the people because they take their tax dollars and they allocate it for, for things like people, what they need as far as education, roads, health care, that whole thing. But once again, those countries, too, have the boot of American empire on their neck. So they're reacting and it's a lot easier to come together collectively true. when there's a boot on everybody's neck. Yeah, so I, I do think we're a lot a lot closer than a lot of people think at the end of the day. But you're right. At the end of the day, let's let's get on the things we do agree upon. And let's be honest over here. The, the Libertarian Party, people have said, Pasta, why are you looking back into the Green Party? Why, why are you doing this? What about movement for People's Party or, or just being independent? I'm like, because I want a third party. And the only party that has their shit together enough that's on 50 ballots and can get into the, the, the debate stage and really make some noise is the Libertarian Party. We have to look at that right now. Am I getting anything I want? No, I am not. But I'm going to take the compromise if the compromise is worth it. And right now, I think it's worth it if we don't blow up the planet. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And I, I think that you'll uh, I'm sure you're already plenty familiar with Dave Smith, but he is about about as good as it gets on anti-war stuff. I mean, obviously Scott Horton's kind of his mentor in that realm, so it makes perfect sense that he's so. But so is he going to get it. the nomination? Right? I mean, is he going to? I can tell if I if I have right. anything to say about it, I promise you. He'll what get about it. Justin Amash? What about uh, listen? I, to tell you the truth, right now, if people ask me, Pasta, who you support in the Libertarian Party for president, I'm supporting Spike Cohen. Oh, I'm supporting Spike Cohen and Maj Torre as his vice president. That's who I want right now that I can okay. get behind until I'm until I'm convinced otherwise about Justin Amash <laughs> or David enough. Smith or or Jesse Ventura or you know I can tell you're not that familiar with Dave Smith if you're calling him David. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hold out some hope that you might be a, no, well, honestly I <laughs> meet him at Freedom Fest, but he did you know <laughs> he didn't show. I'm 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 actually really good friends with uh with Spike Cohen and I and I've met and talked to at length with Justin Amash. They're all they're all great yeah. guys so don't get don't get it twisted i'm just telling you in terms of like if you want a third party that has a real fucking chance dave smith's your guy i promise you that i don't know you'll, you'll see spike you'll cohen see. is sat right here where i'm at right now. i'm in spike land right now i got a picture of spike i think that that whole <laughs> spike cohen in front of the capital is in front of the capital talking to black lives matter activists the oh, guy he's knows how to, he knows how to get his message across no you're and he right he looks a lot better too he looks like he's bulked up a little bit his back <laughs> is straight you know it doesn't look like he's got to run around the shower to get wet anymore so he's taking it very serious so right now i'm about until i see dave smith come out and about you know what i'm saying 
here's the thing. If you're going to run for president, you got to deal with white belts. You got to deal with surface level stuff. That's the majority yeah, of the voters. It's all low informed voters. And Spike has a way of talking to people like that where they can understand that. So that's no, why right. I'm team Spike until I'm, uh, you know what I'm saying? That's if I even go libertarian. I'm still not 100% there. To yeah, get yeah, there. No, I hear you. I hear you, man. a lot of work to do. Uh, well, I, I have actually a, another interview coming up um, that I'm going to run immediately when we get off air here. I, I had someone who's been spending the past year trying to get our allies, the Afghani troops that assisted uh, the American troops in Afghanistan, out of Afghanistan. So you guys will be interested in that one. It's a heartbreaking story what's happened there. We've just completely abandoned these mm -hmm. people. Um, but uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to I'm going to run that as soon as we get off. Uh, let's start with pasta. Go ahead and tell people where they can follow you. Oh, well, obviously, today I chose to represent the combo couch. You know, even fam's got, you know, like, she doesn't have the RT green. She's got the purple of the combo couch behind her. I'm still kicking it with fam Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Fam's going to do a special rant tomorrow, too, as well. So we do pickup shows. We have a lot of guests. If you haven't seen the combo couch, come check us out. We're open-minded. Uh, we we listen. We talk to everybody. I think that's why we're here today, because we've been one of the first to say, hey, we're not going to play this tribal leftist American game yeah. and just talk to the people. I love that, it. That, you know what I'm saying? We're going to go talk it. to people who think differently than us. And we still continue to talk to people who think differently than us. So that's the combo couch Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We usually get started around 1130 Western time. Uh, if you don't know, uh, Monday through Friday, I think you've been on the show before, Clint. AM mm -hmm. wake up, uh, you know, me and Steve Poikin from Slow News Day, who will be on. Uh, Union of the Unwanted tonight. If you want to come check that out, we'll be go. That's in a, that's less than an hour. Uh, so we're doing oh, that yeah. too as well. We do that Monday through Friday. And yeah, uh, just looking forward to election season. Uh, Fam and I have Brazil uh, on the schedule to go check out their elections. That's what we do. This is something that that people don't do. We go to other countries and witness their elections, right? Not just to make sure that those people have national sovereignty and we're going to scrutinize the election system so we get the will of the people because that's what we're for all about at the end of the day is national sovereignty. But to make sure that we can explain to people back home that we have other ways and mechanisms in which we can get our election system straight. So Brazil's on the uh, is on the list. We've already gone to Nicaragua, Honduras, Peru, and uh, recently Colombia. So that's the combo couch. AM wake up pasta Jardula. You can catch me at at yo pasta. Thank you so much for coming, letting us come on your show, Clint. We look forward Absolutely. to seeing you on our shows again soon. No, for sure. I, I love what you guys do. Combo couch is killer. So uh, Fiorella, go ahead and tell people where they can follow you too. So I'm the resident commie and I'm also on the combo couch with pasta. And I am also, uh, my, my serious job is RT. Uh, I'm, uh, really usually the anchor. I'm the anchor. Uh, You're crushing lately, it by the way. Good uh, night. Congrats. At night. Thanks. Which is daytime for you guys, which is great. Kind of works out, but, um, Okay, yeah, I'm there. So you'll see me in a few days. I'm not there right now, obviously, but I'll be there back. I'll be the, there soon. And I'm on Twitter, Fiorella Isabel M. Uh, and also, Pasta forgot to mention, Wednesday, we will have at noon Pacific, 3 Eastern, we're going to have Whitney Webb come on the Ooh, combo couch. Let's go. To talk about her book and everything else. So it'll be a, an exciting conversation. So be sure to check that out. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, Whitney's one of my favorites. I I've been, I think I got her to respond to a DM one time, and she's like, "I'm about to have my baby, so no." <laughs> but I, I'm, gonna follow, I'm gonna follow up again. Anyways, thank you guys so much for joining my, me. If uh, if anybody out there wants to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. And if you want to hang on for ten seconds, you're gonna see an incredible interview, completely eye opening. I had really no idea what was happening in Afghanistan until I had this interview. So I hope you guys will enjoy it. Thank you again for joining me, gents. Or, Ladies and gents, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you. <laughs> okay. Bye. But once again, I have I've been reached out to by Laura Logan's people, and every time she sends me a lead on a guest, it ends up being a, a banger of an interview. Uh, I think this time will be no different. Today, I am joined with Duke Gentili. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Thank Got you. Got it. Nailed it. All right. So this is this is a really interesting topic. Uh, I, obviously, I've you know I'm a libertarian, so I'm I'm very anti-war from the jump. Uh, just to give you my my uh, you know pretenses or my the the methodology by which I usually evaluate these things. Um, and you have been have you actually been operating in Afghanistan for the past year? Well, we don't have Americans running there, but we're uh, running our operations in Afghanistan remotely. And I, I think it. that's something that we'll, we'll get into because it, it has definitely been an, an exercise in leading through adversity. I mean, we're managing operations, you know, uh, 8,000 miles away. Yeah, that sounds like a tough task, given that I can't manage my own backyard. Um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, we obviously, uh, the Biden administration finally gets us out of Afghanistan. It's, it's, in my opinion, it's pretty disastrous, even though I was happy to see the war, quote unquote, end. Um, we leave behind a bunch of people and a bunch of weaponry. Uh, go ahead and like hop in wherever you want and kind of give give your take from the early days of the withdrawal and, and then yeah. we'll just yeah, and I, I, I think that's a that's a great place to start because I, I think there's a lot of people who don't really understand uh, what's happened in Afghanistan and what's continuing to happen. So I think the best place to start is if we back the train all the way up to the station. Perfect. So about a year ago, uh, the the administration made a decision to withdraw from Afghanistan. Now, if if you've been in the military or anybody who's listening to this knows that if the military does anything very well, it's planning, right? They've got entire units and, you know, many, many people inside the Pentagon who all they do is plan and they put together three ring binders, especially on troop withdrawals and, you know, uh, uh, drawdowns and those types of things. But for whatever reason, in the case of Afghanistan, it appears as if all of that was ignored and thrown out the window. Um, you know, we had a number of people on the ground at uh, HKIA, which is the uh, the large airport there in Kabul. And they were told that they were leaving in late August. And many of our guys didn't even pack their bags because they just didn't believe it. They're like, this makes no sense. I can't, there's no way. Because, you know, in the military, you we, you get spun up all the time. Uh, I spent 13 years as an Army recon platoon sergeant. You know, we'd always get spun up and shut down on a regular basis, right? So it's it's kind of like sit around and wait. It's kind of like the, the motto of the military. Um, so our dudes wouldn't, wouldn't even pack their bags because they thought there's just no way we're leaving like this. Well, turns out they did. And they, they were told they were told late August that they were leaving in late August or was it early September that we left? I can't remember. Uh, well, it was late August. The, the last okay. American got on a plane. Yeah. The bombing at the uh, Abbey Gate was uh, August 26th. OK, that's, that, that's what I thought. Women. Yeah. And, and so when were they told that they were told that mid-August or when when were they? Yeah, I think that? there was, you know, if, if my memory serves me right, there was probably 30 or 60 days leading up to that. But it was okay. you know, tentative and everyone's like, well, I don't really know if it's going to happen right. or not. I doubt it will because this isn't how things are done. So uh, coming back to the story, uh, what ensued was chaos, right? So and that's kind of the point where I got dragged in is uh, I got a, you know, I was enjoying a nice corporate cushy job you know, working on my golf game at this point, you know, doing marketing and political consulting. And uh, I got a call out of the blue from one of my buddies said, hey, uh, things in Afghanistan are going sideways. Can you help me get an interpreter out? He goes, I know that you did some things in the military and you got some powerful political friends. Can you do something? I said, I don't know. Let me make some calls. So I got involved with Operation North Star, which was a group 
uh, of like-minded veterans and uh, current and former special operations people, which makes up about 90% of the uh, people that we have working with us and, you know, other government agency type of people, right? Really good, really good people. And we were looking, I mean, we had, you know, like a thousand people who were volunteering and figuring out what can I do? How can I help? And, you know, wanted to come in and try to get some arms wrapped around this and, and, and try to organize because it was absolute chaos what was happening. So everybody in Afghanistan basically went to the airport in Kabul and was trying to get on these airplanes. Uh, and, you know, they're all on the phones and they're calling, you know, back to people they served with. They're like, get me in, you know, get me across the, the gates. And everyone's holding up like yellow scarves and red bags. You know, you can hear those stories about trying to identify everybody. And, uh, you know, it just created a ball of humanity. And of course, the terrorists took advantage of that. And, you know, the bomb went off at Abbey Gate. And at that point, you know, I think the mission set really, really changed. Um, you know, the, the withdrawal was definitely happening. They were loading up people on planes as fast as they could. And they, they hopped the planes out. And the last American got on a plane, I think it was like August 30th. And, and that was it. So we were left sitting, well, what do we do now? Um, you know, we can't use uh, H. Kaya, the airport in Kabul. So, you know, we started, you know, we basically built uh, joint tactical operation centers in our in our home offices where we were, you know, getting real-time imagery and real-time reports and looking at real maps and where all the checkpoints were and trying to move our people around in this absolute chaos. And that was really uh, a, a genesis of, you know, we thought this was going to be a, a two-week mission. I took two weeks off of work to come in and do this. And <laughs> here we are a year later. Right. Well, uh, that sounds like the uh, the trend with Afghanistan. <laughs> it's just going to be a couple of weeks, and then we're here twenty years later. And I mean, you you said all they do is plan in the military. Uh, I mean, you can't blame them though for not being ready to withdraw from Afghanistan. They only had twenty years to get ready for it. So, uh, no, seriously though, how how is it possible that that we go from this war is you know endless, and and then all of a sudden you know, 30 to 60 days, we're out, and we're also kind of announcing it so that you you then have the enemy combatants that are still there that are going to obviously be targeting us as we leave. Uh, you're just, it seems very haphazard from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, there's a great number of us, actually all of us, we can't make heads or tails out of it. You know, we we even have some generals and stuff that work with us. And, you know, we, we really am, honestly haven't had time to be able to pull back and look at it from mm -hmm. a 50,000 foot level. Um, cause we're still working 14 hours a day on this. Of course. No, yeah. I mean, you still, you still have to focus on the task at hand. I totally get it. So go ahead and tell my audience about what the task at hand is. Cause I don't think many people even know that there's still people left in Afghanistan. Right. So we, so in operation North star, we're part of a bigger group called moral compass federation. And that's 20 NGOs like North star all kind of bundled up together. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're all primarily focused on the same thing. Like, you know, getting our allies out. In the case of North Star, we're in, we're particularly working on getting out all the Anasoc allies, all the Afghan special forces. Mm -hmm. um, we have some other groups inside of Moral Compass that are, you know, specifically working on like the NMRG guys, the the dudes with the minesweepers who would walk in front of our special forces ODA teams looking for, you know, mines and bombs and IEDs and those types of things. And, uh, you know, we've got a couple other groups that are, you know, working on things that are non-Afghan special forces, but for the bulk of what we're doing, it is the Afghan special forces. So just to, to, to clarify something, so that does that mean that these are Afghanistan-born people that assisted us while we were there? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. These are 
true Afghan indigenous folks, soldiers that worked Got alongside it. of us for the last 20 years. So across Moral Compass, uh, what we figure we have is about 35,000 of these people that we need to get out on our books. The larger number across Afghanistan is probably north of an 150, 160,000. But in Moral Compass, with our allies that we're trying to get out, that number is approximately you know, 30, 35,000 people. Now, wow. these are, I think there's a misconception here as well. These are not it's not 35,000 single fighting age males. Okay. That's, that's not what we're, we're getting out. These are families. There's 35,000 men, women, and children that we're, we're trying to get out. So these are basically the families of the men that helped you, I would imagine. Yes. And, and them okay. themselves. Yeah. Right. Of course. Um, right. and I, I, I mean, I, I have to imagine that the people that assisted us, uh, are considered essentially enemy combatants in their own country at this point is that a fair assessment they they are actively being hunted and systematically murdered by the taliban and there's just wow. no other nice way to put it so on a daily basis here's here's what we've been going through for the last year is we have to we have to shelter these people in safe houses right um we have to feed them we have to get you know pay all their utilities and all their bills uh, we have to get them emergency medical attention. Uh, you know, the amount of medical care that these people need is tremendous just alone, right? Hmm. Um, we've got people who were shot, who were captured, tortured, beaten up, smashed up with sledgehammers, thrown off of buildings and, you know, all, a combination of all kinds of other things. My Plus, again, remember, these are these are families, right? So we have women's, you know, health care issues, ch child health care issues, you know, a whole slew of these things that we have to take care of. Um, you know, we also have to get their documents, which is a huge problem because uh, if our allies are missing like passports, which they can't travel if they don't have those, uh, we have to find uh, creative means to get them those those documents. Because if we send them down to the passport office, they, they will get murdered. Uh, it, it, it's happened many, many times. And we have to keep these people in these safe houses. I've got, I've got people that I've had hidden away in safe houses since last September. So, you know, the mental injury to these people is significant. Actually, you know, I, I think that's a good segue too, is uh, there's been, you know, moral and, and significant mental trauma done to just the veteran community alone who's trying to do this. Um, I would because, imagine, I mean, you, you had to have formed bonds with these, these soldiers that assisted yeah. us for, de you know, a decade plus, some of them, I would imagine. Yeah, and these aren't unvetted people. These are people that our our men and women have worked directly with. So in many cases, right. we know them, right? Yeah, and of course. And even the ones that we didn't know that we've learned to meet through this, you know, we we video chat with them. We take their calls. We take their emails. We hear their begs, their pleas, uh, and that's the people that we're working with. I mean, on a daily basis, we get over a thousand emails of people begging uh, for us to come in and help them and save their lives. Incredible. And this is going for a year. That's incredible. Well, uh, this is just spurring a like a distant memory that I had in my brain, but I'm forever online and constantly staying up with the news. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that I heard a story right after we left Afghanistan, you know, once we left, quote unquote, um, that that there was in the, the weaponry that was left behind. There was also a database that included all of the allies, the Af Afghan allies that had been working with us that basically we just left their information so that they could go be hunted down. Am, am I making that up? I, I swear I read that. That's 100% correct. So even in the early days, um, you know, we were trying to move people through checkpoints and some of the checkpoints had uh, U.S. 
technology with the biometric systems on them. That was so if you were in a, let's just say you and your family, you're an Afghan ally and you're trying to drive through these checkpoints. Um, if you get to one that's got the biometrics on it, which they look like little Polaroid machines and they, they, they scan your, your face, um, <coughs> excuse me. If, if they scan you at the checkpoint and you pop, you get a, you get a one-way walk out into the desert and they kill you. Jesus Christ. And then on um, top of that, the Taliban got into the payroll records. Oh, and so they, they so had they probably all, had addresses too. addresses, the phone numbers, oh, you know, God. and they, they systematically would go through and try to hunt our people. Um, and that's why, you know, we had to move all these people out of their homes and find different places to shelter them and hide them. I mean, the logistics behind doing this is massive. It's like we're we're running a Fortune 500 company here. And, and let me mention this as well as we are not funded by the government. We... Hmm are trying to solve an Uncle Sam size problem with the personal checking accounts of veterans. Um, there has been a number, there, there's a number of us who either quit or left our jobs and haven't gotten paychecks in a year. Um, there's a number of us who, you know, took out second mortgages or cashed out their savings to try to keep these allies alive. And the government is not helping us and not funding us in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, it's just because our people who are doing this are so committed to the cause and once you're in it it's it's extremely hard to pull out again i i i've been doing this personally for a year and i am kind of stuck in it right because if i leave there's going to be damaged people of course i mean it would be an absolute weight on my soul uh to know this and then just be like all right i'm washing my hands of this i can't do it anymore i well i have to ask and I don't want to put you in an awkward position, um, so you know, feel free to answer it however you want to. But how is it possible that you know, especially the GOP, because they always run on you know respecting veterans' rights and and you know blah blah blah. Where I haven't, there's no coverage of this at all. Like, why is there no politician that's that's coming to these people's aid? That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, again, that's that's something I I would like to get some answers for. I think at the end of the day, one of the things that we want is hearings, real hearings, actual yeah. hearings. Uh, we were there was a, a select number of us that were able to write some questions for Secretary Blinken and Austin, who uh, the uh, Secretary of State and the uh, Department of Defense. Uh, you know, we were able to write some questions for them in their closed door hearings, but we need real hearings and we need we need to get some real answers and we need to get some real accountability. Again, I, I don't know what's in their heart or what's on their minds uh, or why they're making the decisions they are because um, we're so stuck in the trench from a day to day trying to keep our allies alive. Is it is it just that the the idea oh, I'm, I'm just, you know, spitballing here, but I could imagine it being challenging to get popular approval to want these Afghan, you know, military veterans that were our allies, but they're still Afghans like that kind of, I guess I could see where, you know, the, the Republican side would be like, well, this isn't going to be popular with our base because they're going to, they're going to think that there's going to be, you know, radical extremists that are, that are migrating wow. here. You know, political parties assign, this is, this is America and this isn't what we do. We, we do I'm not. I'm with you, brother. I, I'm just leave, saying. We don't leave allies behind. And we right. don't leave our veterans holding the bar tab at the end of the night. 
Of course. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and 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 just from a tactical standpoint, it's it's psychotic. I mean, how are you going to if you have any other nation building exercises? I mean, we have some that are occurring right now. Uh, Ukraine comes to mind. Uh, if you have any other nation building or defense exercises, how are you going to expect to build any trust with these allies if they're hearing stories about what's happened happened to the Af Afghans that assisted us? Yeah, I mean, it's in everybody's interest to get the political willpower behind this to sort it out, right? So, I mean, there's there's significant issues here of national security. Uh, you take a look at the the rapid withdrawal. I mean, that showed American weakness in foreign policy. And perhaps that's why Putin did what he did in Ukraine, or perhaps mm. what's happening with the Chinese in Taiwan or Iran, you know, getting emboldened to build nuclear weapons or anything else going on around the world. It showed American weakness. And that's of a grave national security issue. And then we left an entire state again back. We took it from the Taliban, gave it back to the Taliban, but enriched them now somehow in the process by leaving them with $90 billion of U.S. technology vehicles and weapons that they're using to systematically kill our allies or sell on the open market. I, you know, And there's other issues as well, because now we don't have any eyes or ears inside of Afghanistan where you have an empowered Taliban government, you have ISIS-K, you have Al-Qaeda running around. Uh, you've got the Haqqani network. I mean, nobody knows what's going on in there. These are all huge national security issues that you know, it benefits everybody to solve. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes you wonder if if there isn't some other alternative game plan. Is, is, there, is there value to the U.S. government to maintain, you know, disarray in this area? Like, I, I'm just trying to... I can't even come to any sort of guess as to why they would be doing this because it seems so so counterproductive that you almost go like, well, there has to be a, a reason. Yeah, I, at this point, we definitely have more questions than we have answers. But again, we're so in the trench trying to keep these people yeah, alive no, and feel the thousands of phone calls that are coming in. Because um, right now, the, I mean, the government is actively participating in the evacuations, but it's a drip and, and we need significantly okay. more. So, so what, what are they providing you with? Is it yeah, just well, they're, flights? They're, they're frankly not providing North Star or Moral Compass with anything. I mean, there's okay. there's one to four flights a month that, that go out from like uh, Doha. And the only way to get on those planes is to have all of your SIV paperwork, your special immigrant visas, excuse me, uh, in order, uh, which is a very high bar for Afghans to get across, um, which basically means none of our people, right? Because these are, you know, our, our people are, you know, fighters you know they were sure. you know afghan special forces they you know it's it's they don't even have passports again right and, and let alone an siv to get on these planes so we need we need a political change to allow a special program for us to to get our folks out so and i i know it's capable so let me tell you this let me tell you the difference between uh what's going on in ukraine and what happened in afghanistan so recently the U.S. government came out with a program for Ukrainians who were looking to get out and come to America called Uniting for Ukraine. And uh, I led a delegation down to Mexico to observe this firsthand, and they moved 27,000 Ukrainians across the southern border into America, and they processed each of their humanitarian paroles in two to four hours, which is unheard of. I mean, that's, that's like lightning speed. Wow. And they said the reason they wanted to do it is because it would be cruel if it took any longer. So... With this Uniting for Ukraine program, it's clear that the Department of State does not have a personnel shortage and they don't have a funding issue. They were able to do it for the Ukrainians, right? So, so this is um, an issue of will. 
essentially. It, it is absolutely an issue of will. I mean, the blueprint is already there. I, I What I would like to see is them to take the Uniting for Ukraine program and make it Uniting for Afghan allies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, just no, cut and paste. Already, the program's already there. So is it, I, again, I go back to like, why? Why is why are they treating the Ukrainian people so much better than our Afghan allies? Especially these, I mean, the Ukrainians, I'm not saying that they're, you know, they shouldn't right. be assisted, but but they didn't fight for us. Like these are people that wanted out right away. These guys dedicated, you know, some of them a decade of their lives or more. It's bizarre. Yeah. And I, I get some of the, the resistance, right? So in the early days when they were loading the people up in the uh, Kabul airport, um, those people weren't necessarily vetted, right? And I think there's right. been some reports that I saw in like the Epoch Times that maybe 100 or so of them were, you know, Taliban sympathizer type people or bad Got actors. Yeah. So I, I, I get it, right? There was mistakes made and some of those people, you know, we weren't part of that. But, you know, I think there was good, kind-hearted, you know, people trying to, you know, save people's lives at the time. Of course. Our people that we have are significantly different. These are people that are often more vetted than even our own soldiers. I mean, they've definitely had background checks. Some of them had polygraph examinations. I mean, I mean, they're they're definitely vetted. And, you know, many of our folks work directly with these people. So there's no reason to say, you know, we're anxious that we're going to be bringing in Taliban fighters. Again, these are these are men, women and children and families. That right. We're well, and, and I mean, in order to prevent, I think the term is green on blue. Uh, you you want to make sure that these guys are, are hyper vetted so that, that they don't turn around and, and shoot our troops in the back. Am I right on that? Is that, do you remember that saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and obviously these guys worked with us without any sort of issues. Otherwise they wouldn't be considered our allies anymore. So um, just absolutely perplexing that they're, they're being abandoned in such a fashion. So what, what is it that you're doing in terms of, I mean, is this, is this a, a media blitz to basically get awareness out there to try and get the political will to, to do that? It, exactly. You know, our intent, especially coming up on the anniversary again, because we've had such limited media coverage and you even alluded to that, we need to educate and advocate. You know, I do, I do multiple shows like, you know, the one that you're having right here, and it's always the same response, like "Holy cow! I had I had no idea." No, never heard of it. Uh, honestly, God, like, and I and I am very on top of the news, and I'm very on top of like foreign politics in particular, uh, or uh, you know, domestic, or excuse me, basically our warfare state. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm blown away that I haven't heard a word about this. And I guess it's it just boils down to that it, it's because it's Afghan nationals, people just don't care. Is that, I guess that's all I can read into it or, or the media doesn't care. It doesn't, doesn't get clicks on articles. I, I don't know. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's definitely part of it. So we're trying to combat that with the anniversary coming up to educate and advocate. We need, we really need two things. First of all, we need funding. Again, the government's not funding us and all of our veterans are going broke trying to keep these, these allies alive. So if, if anybody wants to donate and help go to operationnorstar.com, that's where we need the donations. Um, all of that, none of us get salaries. All of that goes directly to housing, feeding, medical care, and trans, trying to transport our, our folks out of uh, Afghanistan. Or sometimes we lead delegations to third-party countries trying to beg them to clean up the mess and, and take some of our allies. The other thing that we need is for you to contact your, your politicians and demand you know, that there's you know, a, a political change in will to draft up something to save our allies. These are people that fought and bled with us. I mean, there's a there's a moral issue here to, to protect them and a national security issue to, to fix this. 
And our veteran community is getting bruised up, battered and destroyed in the process of trying to do what's morally right. No, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, you know, like you said, setting partisanship aside, are there any congressional representatives that are picking up the phone and, and you know, showing any signs of concern for this cause? We we have we do have some support, but it's not nearly enough. Uh, I talk to politicians on a regular basis and overwhelming what I hear is, yes, I'm sympathetic to your cause, but the Department of State doesn't want to do anything. And I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Um, hmm. I'd like to see them try harder. <laughs> yeah. Did they did they give you a reason why the Department of State doesn't want to get involved? Nope. Huh. That is very it weird. is very bewildering to yeah. too many of us. And again, I think one of the things we need on the back end of this is is hearings and we need accountability. Yeah, no, certainly. Um so the uh you said that I mean, obviously, these people are, are many of them are being hunted. They have to move from safe house to safe house. Uh, where what is the intention? Is it just to get them into some other adjacent country where they're not under direct threat? Or is it actually to, to try and get them all the way to America? Well, I, at this point, it's both. I, I think in the early days, the main goal, you know, of course, was to, you know, thank them for their service and bring them into the United States and give them a pathway to citizenship. Sure. I, I think that dream for many has gone away. Uh, we, we just don't see the political will to do that. So now many of us are having to shift gears and go to third party countries and basically we'll deal and beg them to take some of the allies. Well, this, this is kind of a off the beaten path question, but I, I would feel remiss not to ask it. Um, the, I believe it was the Biden administration in the, like the week prior to the real leaving, uh, or the withdrawal that there was that drone strike that killed eight or 10. Uh, I mean, it was like a family and it was an accident. Uh, it was caught, obviously an accident, um, but there was no charges brought. Uh, I would imagine uh, this is just, I'm connecting dots here and maybe I shouldn't be, but I would imagine that that would uh, put a lot of extra venom behind the the Taliban or whoever is is per persecuting our, our former allies. Well, I definitely think, you know, when we have the hearings and I, I believe that there will be, uh, that drone strike that killed the uh, U.S. aid worker and his family definitely needs to be part of the line of questioning for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, point, there was there was no accountability to that either. As a matter of fact, the uh, one Marine colonel who, you know, demanded accountability, he found himself in solitary confinement and on his way out of the military. Wow, Colonel well, Stu Scheller. So, are you are you no longer or are you still active military? No, I'm I'm out. <laughs> well, now it feels like I'm back in because this has been my yeah. job now for for going on for a year, working fourteen hour days. Um, and I, I will say this, you know, I was out I was out for a, a, a you know number of years, and coming back and working with the you know the special operations community, I I realized how much I miss my people. I cannot say enough about the men and women who are working this mission with us across all you know all the or the 20 different orgs that are in moral compass outstanding people and and dedicated and and the level at which that we're operating is really a level of efficiency and and quite the model you know there's there should be somebody who comes in here and writes a business book about how all of this got put together because it's it's quite astonishing about yeah. you know, how efficient we were and you know very precise about the organization structures and and tasking and data and, and how we're running grounds because again we're 
we're still running operations, granted, not with Americans, but we're running operations inside of Afghanistan remotely from our home offices, 8,000 miles away yeah. and doing and extremely successfully yeah, with on a, funding from the government. I was just going to say with self-funding, I mean, this just goes to show uh, why why free market capitalism usually kicks the crap out of central planning. It's amazing, it's like, it's amazing what a bunch of high-end military people can do with cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine. Well, um, I you know, no, no doubt that the... Uh, the people that that you're actually working with are are heroic and you are too by the way uh but it has to it makes me wonder if it doesn't make you reflect on maybe not your time in service but more so the leadership that now runs our our government and our military um because it just it seems like like such a blight on our record if we are alleged the alleged you know defenders of democracy and yada 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 and yet our allies who fought and bled and died for us for d decades, uh, yeah. they just get abandoned in their time of need. It, 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 it's a black eye, in my opinion. The, the entire uh, veteran and, and current military community that I have the honor and privilege of still working with, I mean, we're, we're all very mad about yeah. what, what's happened. But we also realize that you know, the, the only way forward through this is working with the government and working with the administration because it, it has to be driven from them. And, you know, we, we have to work with them. And, you know, eventually there will come a time when it's time to Monday morning quarterback and bring accountability. But that time right now isn't right now. And right now we're just focused on saving as many lives as we can. No, I agree. Uh, you got to keep keep your eye on the prize and the prize is, you know, keeping people alive at this point. Um, what, what's weird to me is that there's I, I literally no coverage. You said that there's there's people that are being thrown off buildings and and hunted and killed. And I literally, I haven't heard any of this. Is this getting coveraged or getting coverage in, uh, you know, Middle Eastern markets, Al Jazeera, things like that? Or is it total media silence all over the board? It, it appears like it's, you know, total silence. And I think it's because Afghanistan's essentially become a prison. Yeah. So the, you know, the Afghanistan has essentially become a prison state. Um, so there's, you know, all the borders around Afghanistan are, are very tight, very hard to get across. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, I don't think there's a lot of media going inside. You know, it's not like you're going to see ABC, NBC, CBS or whatever, Fox News, Afghanistan. So they're they pretty much washed their hands of it and moved over to, you know, everything, Ukraine and Taiwan and, you know, ADD of the day. And, you know, the net effect of that is there's no awareness being built to the travesty that's happening inside of Afghanistan. You know, there have been uh, some reports about the economic situation. Um, because people are starving, uh, the economy is collapsing, you know, the Taliban is learning how difficult it is to run a country. Um, in the early days, they had no idea how to run the airports or, you know, run the power grid. <laughs> you know, so there is, there is a significant learning on, on their part about how hard it is to run a country uh, or even the passport offices or those types of things. Um, but there's, there's lots of people starving and there's people who are, you know, selling organs for food or selling their kids uh or the yeah. sex trade or the child trafficking trade i mean it's become hell on earth for many of the people trapped inside of afghanistan of course that includes our allies well that's awful i i, I mean i i had heard about the uh the economic strife like you said that there had been some minor reporting on that um but i hadn't heard about basically right. any, so, any like when, we, when the, the un or the world food program comes in and drops off you know pallets of food um our people aren't they're not getting that food they can't 
we can't let them leave their safe house to go and get that food. They'll get killed. So they just have to basically scavenge to survive. Well, we, we have logistic means in which to provide for our people, but going down to the WHO food drop isn't part of that. <laughs> no, certainly not. So I, I don't think, I, honestly, I don't think the vast majority of uh, my audience or the American people are really aware that the Taliban has taken over. Is it, is it all of Afghanistan? Is that a fair? Yeah, they have a, they have a hundred percent control of it. They have everything that we left behind, including Bagram air base, which we Good should Lord. have never let them have. Oh my goodness. So we spent 20 years there only to uh, replace the Taliban with a well-armed Taliban. That's uh, yes. Unbelievable. Essentially we, we gave blood and treasure to make it worse. It, I mean, it really, I struggled to even understand it, honestly, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Um, but it just, it, it makes me feel like, God, I don't know. I don't know how to, how to go into this any deeper without sounding like a total conspiracy theorist, but I just don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand how, if this, if we're going to spend 20 years there and all this billions and billions, probably trillions, honestly, um, and then God knows how many lost soldiers, PTSD and suicides and everything else that, that they go through when they come back. Uh, and, and now we leave our allies behind too. It's just in every form and fashion, this is just such a, uh, a black eye yeah. on, on what we've yeah, done. And, and again, a great number of us have a hard time getting our heads wrapped around it. I mean, I have degrees in international relations and national security and you know my military background, and I can't figure any of this out. Does it make any bit of sense to me, let alone, you know, generals and stuff that are working with us and, you know, all of the military brain power and experience that we have, you know, again, maybe it's because we haven't had time to, yeah, because uh, we're, we're so in the trenches. Do, do you think it's just that, you know, the, the new shiny toy is the proxy war in Ukraine or, or ramping up to, to defend or fight against China, perhaps? I, I mean, I, I'm, that's the only thing I could understand. Like I could rationally go, okay, well, it's terrible, but we lost, we lost here, and now we're just moving on to the next thing. Yeah, I can't, I can't speak on behalf of the administration. Um, sure, but you know, I, I clearly think you know, going from one problem to having four or five problems isn't good, and you know, no. anything divided by four or five is bad. Um, yeah. However, you know, I think perhaps the situation in Afghanistan, which I alluded to earlier in the rapid withdrawal showing a weakness, may have emboldened our enemies around the world to, you know, partake in their their bad action, their bad actions. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just human nature. You see, you see the bully, he looks weak, and then you pounce. Um, so is is there oh God, I'm just I'm I'm really this is like it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable that this story is not getting coverage. And what really is blowing my mind is like, I watch Tucker Carlson every night. This seems like an interview that Tucker Carlson ought to be doing and not me. Yeah. And, and if you were to, if we had a longer segment, you know, and you were to hear the, the harrowing stories of the people that we've gotten out, I mean, it's every one of the stories across thousands of people could be a movie. I mean, it's like a James Bond movie because we're, again, understand we're moving these people around in the most austere environment that there is it is 100 percent controlled by the taliban 100 yeah. percent with isis k al-qaeda you know uh the Haqqani network all running around trying to kill these people and we're we're sneaking them around <laughs> and trying to get them out of the country and the ones that we get out um you know their their stories are absolutely incredible and there's just so many stories to be told there about 
you know, how these people got out. Yeah. So if if you get them out, since you don't have the political will at this point to have any sort of pathway to citizenship, where are you taking them? Well, right now, the 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 main people that we got out have gotten to America, but that was in the early days. And, you know, we haven't really gotten any of our Anasoc people, Afghan special operations community people out for over half a year. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, so they, the faucet for us has completely cut off. Now, again, the, the government and the Department of State are getting out about one to four planes a month, um, but those aren't our people. I don't know who's on them, but I know who isn't. It's our allies. Yeah, so who, I mean, who, do you have any idea who those people are? Because I don't understand who else we would have to be getting out. Yeah, I, I don't, but I know that they have their SIV paperwork and apparently... You know, the, the requirements to get on those planes are so steep. I swear you have to have four ears to get on it. <laughs> well, that's that's bizarre. I, I it, it really I mean, if I was if I was, say, a Ukrainian soldier or if I was uh, a Taiwanese soldier, if we end up in a war with China and I and I were to catch wind of these stories, I'd be like, well, I'm never going to trust the U.S. government to like if I'm going to risk my I, life and ally with these people. If, I, I know at the end of the day, they're not going to help me out. If I was a Ukrainian special forces dude right now, and the Americans said they want me be behind, I'd be like, oh, I've seen this movie before at least twice. Right, right. right? I mean, that's right. a huge national security issue. Yes, it is. And and it just, the fact that it's a national security issue and, and you have so many congressional representatives, including, you know, presidential candidates that run on this stuff that, you know, we're, we're always behind the troops and yet they're clearly not. And, you know, as a as a veteran myself, that's the thing that disturbs me the most is I think politicians are always the first ones to drape themselves in the flag. Right. Indeed. But where are they now? Yeah. Well, what... Where is the political will to do what is morally right? And again, look, across Moral Compass uh, and with Operation North Star, 35,000 people and women and children. That's not a large number of people in the grand scape of, uh, scope, you know, scope of things right. for a nation, a country. Well, and you said how many how many Ukrainians did they get in in that first week? Seven thousand. I saw come across the Mexican border. So there you go. That's basically all we need to do is do the exact same thing. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, it, what's the uh, what's the morale condition amongst our our military, not just veterans, but our our troops? Because I mean, we're we're currently ramping up to what looks like potential conflict with Russia or China, and I just. I feel very skeptical. I mean, I obviously I'm libertarian. I'm very anti-war from Jump Street, but just from a from a purely like nationalistic American perspective, I'm like, I don't think we can win these wars. I don't think our, our troops have the morale because we're just we're not we're not holding up our end of the bargain. Well, I'm a I'm a firm believer that we have the finest fighting force of men and women on the planet. And uh, you know, they they do the mission that they're asked to do, regardless of how they may feel about it. At the okay, time. fair so, enough. Um, I, I feel very confident in, in all of our military that, you know, they'll they'll embrace the suck and they'll, they'll accomplish the mission. <laughs> Is the, uh, I, I know there's a lot of stories and you've probably been too occupied to even follow this stuff, but there's been a lot of stories about, uh, you know, gender ideology and, and kind of the wokeness that's infiltrating the military. Have you witnessed any of that? Do you care to comment on it at all? Uh, no, I, I thankfully got out before all of that came around. Okay. Um, I, I can only imagine me personally trying to, you know, cope with that because, you know, we're, we're a bunch of alpha male. We as each other and getting the job done. All of this, you know, political stuff has no business in war fighting. 
that's that's my perspective on it as well. It's absolutely bizarre. Um, all right, well, let's let's wrap with this. How how can my audience help you? You already said about I think it was Operation or it was Northstar.com. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it's Operation Northstar.com. We definitely need funding. We are running black on funds. Again, we're not supported by the government at all. And uh, just just to get like one plane out for us is going to cost about three million dollars. My goodness, yeah, we need we need big money because we got to sustain all of these people. We got to shelter them, feed them, provide their medical care, uh, you know, charter planes if we can, if we can work something out with the Department of State or a third party country. You know, the plane itself, just to charter, it's eight hundred thousand. My goodness. Well, so go to OperationNorthStar.com, make a donation and contact your politicians and, and force them into a change in political me mentality. We, we need to take the Uniting for Ukraine program and adopt it for our allies. I, I couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, even though I am very anti-war, I think that you have, you have a duty once you, once you work in tandem with someone, once you create an allyship, uh, when the chips are down, especially if you have the resources to assist them, you fucking do it. And I, and I, I'm absolutely perplexed and honestly horrified to hear what has occurred to these people. Um, it's tragic. And, well, and I, I hearing, hearing the, the phone calls and the voicemails and the, the messages that we get over our phones is, is nothing short of horrifying because sometimes the Taliban we're on the phone with them when they kick in their doors and kill them. Oh my God. Well, I want to commend you guys, uh, yourself, as well as the, uh, the entire, you know, operation you're, you're working with. Uh, it's truly heroic what you guys are doing, uh, to, to feel that sense of duty to these people. Cause a lot of, obviously a lot of politicians and, and other people have just turned a blind eye and, and washed their hands of it. And, and you guys have chosen not to. So you guys, you guys give me hope whether or not the rest of the political apparatus does is a totally different question, but I, I just want to commend you for oh, the, the American the spirit thing. is alive in us. And we believe that God is on our side and Clint, thank you for giving a voice to those who don't have one. Um, your platform here uh, is helping us, helping us do that. And, and I hope that I lived up to the uh, Lara Logan standard of being a banker. <laughs> you did. You did. Uh, I mean, this is this is like basically breaking news because if I haven't heard it, I'm sure my audience hasn't heard it either. So that's what I like to I like to cover. I like anybody whose uh, whose liberty is being locked down, you know, vocally or otherwise. Uh, I like to give people an opportunity to tell their story, and and I really hope that people will share this one around so that hopefully the Tucker Carlsons or whoever of the world. Uh, we'll have Duke on because it's necessary. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Uh, Duke, uh, OperationNorthStar.com. Everybody go help these folks out. They are doing just God's work as far as I'm concerned. Thank you again, Duke. Thank you. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feminine A typo with Luke might bring the nooses We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit 
Peter Quinones, invite me on. Which podcaster sends custom songs? Part of the problem? Now I stand with the people. Dave showed the way, but I am unequal. Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar. Beat running up, but I got a bit more. Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth, but I made him a sandwich. Now I'm man of the house. No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit. I went over BLM with the fire I spit. Friends against government just caught us fags. Copied the Cairo, put mummies in the bag. Liable opinions get thrown on the ground. Silky's Mouton was the only sound. Getting so hot, must be air July. Screaming in the mic, a rip for 59. Miles to ratio that black guns matter. Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders. None of us wanted war, but we're ready. You know I be bopping and rock steady. Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, we'll come and it'll go. The government knows, so don't get treated like a hoe.